0: Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, The House of the Dragon has premiered The Invitation Hits Theaters, and director Jessica Thompson joins the show to discuss.
1: The legends are true. Overwhelming power! Sauce of destiny. Yes!
0: Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 227 of Real Blend, a podcast that already lost its fantasy football season. Imagine that. Imagine that. Uh, On this week's show, House of the Dragons has premiered. We're going to go back to Westeros to discuss the return of Game of Thrones. The Invitation is hitting theaters this weekend, and uh, because of that, we have director Jessica Thompson Joining the show to discuss, hello, Blenders. Uh, I'm Sean O'Connell, uh, from the managing editor here at Cinema Blend, and joined as always uh, by Jake Hamilton, a Fox Art in Chicago, who's a little under the weather. Hi, Jakey. How are you? Hey, buddy. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You sound fine. I thought you were going to sound uh, rough.
2: No, I mean it's just it's all it's all throat and head stuff, and it's not COVID. I've taken at this point literally five different tests, so I'm not riddled yeah. with COVID or anything. I just feel terrible. Um, and had what a, you had mean a, had like a you actually? And-
0: yeah, you just have an actual like a like a sore throat.
2: Yeah, sore throat people and headache. Get, and
0: I know that's that's the thing anything now we, yeah, we forget. Like, yeah, we forget
2: that people do have the capacity to get sick outside of covid. Um, yeah. But yeah, not not feeling great, but I'm in it. And um, though I got to say whatever horrible throat ripping soreness I'm feeling or oh. axe splitting my head um, does not compare to the betrayal that I felt of you leaving my fantasy football league this year.
0: Yeah, I can't tell you how much of a relief it is to not care about fantasy football. Um, And maybe I'm just going to take a season off. Like, I do kind of enjoy playing it. But the last year uh, I was in two leagues. One of them was with you and your friends. Mm hmm. And I realized that it ruins the joy of, like, watching a football game. See, that's so
2: interesting because I feel the opposite. I'm I feel opposite. like it, it yeah. makes me you? Feel, care about games that I otherwise wouldn't care about. Oh, i will uh, it's the only way I'll watch
0: the Chicago Bears and care. You know, I'll have one it's guy on the
2: you're the only one that watches the <laughs> Chicago Bears
0: and cares. Gabe Kovac, the producer sitting in for uh Kevin but here's what i'm saying though uh on like on a sunday night i'll end up staying up late to cheer on a tight end that i don't care about That's great
3: that's fun. See, i think that's no, it's no. i think that's no. fantastic
0: No cuz then if it doesn't go my way i'm mad and then well, i'm mad because yeah. of someone on the cardinals and it's just <laughs> stupid
2: That's <laughs> like so interesting Okay so i well, just need a break you're well, you're, you're missed break. you're missed
0: Well thank you for it. I i wish you luck good luck to your team uh and uh good luck to Gabe i'm sure you're playing as well too right
3: I haven't drafted yet, but uh, I, yeah. I imagine. Neither so. way,
0: yeah. Oh, and the draft is a whole thing too. Yeah, just no, well, well, Okay, no, We I'm get gonna, it. You don't uh, want to
3: play fantasy. Football, <laughs> Jesus.
0: <right>?
1: And <laughs> you know, then they got to play football. No, no one's one gotta, forcing this, you this whole to do thing.
0: This. It's like games and everything. <laughs> All right. Uh, I hope you guys are watching us on YouTube, where you get a visual element to the show. Uh, if you haven't yet watched us on YouTube, go to YouTube.com/backslash RealBlendPodcast. Uh, give us a like and a subscribe. We're always trying to grow the army over that way, and and from people who tune in on Friday mornings when that show drops. And then, additionally, uh, on Mondays, if you guys want extra real blend, sign up for Real Blend Premium, which gives you an ad free version of the show, uh, a newsletter. Uh, I'm writing a newsletter this week, and then of course, the new shows that drop on Mondays. And this week is going to be a mailbag. I'm pretty sure. Is that Mail right,
3: Mailtime. Mailbag. Is that trademark say It's uh, uh
0: Yeah. Sure, you can say that. Why not? It's uh, time so check for the mail. That's,
3: surely that'll clear. It's time for mail. Yeah, for that that'll clear. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: all really good. Well, Jake's, Jake's got a song that goes with it. So I got a song for everything. Musical rights as well cleared for that. Yeah. Dave um, is
2: going to love the fact that I'm like sucking on cough drops the entire time while recording this. Yeah, 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 that's so great for the audio. Yeah. No, it sounds
0: good. It sounds really good. No mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. doubt. <laughs> No difference. (laughs) That's like some ASMR type thing going on there. Whatever you're up to. Maybe Um, that'll grow the audience (laughs) even more. I don't know. This has been like a rating
3: skyrocket for this episode. (laughs) Uh,
0: This has been an unusual time for horror. Uh, We had a a pretty good summer in terms of uh, Black Phone and Nope. Uh, Jake has been talking uh, about Barbarian, which is going to be coming, I believe, next week. Uh, Prey obviously was on on, uh, Amazon. I think it's two weeks from now barbarians two weeks from now okay I so, yeah. um, god we'll we can not going wait for us to talk about that we'll figure out how we're gonna talk yeah, about it like good. that's a it's gonna be a difficult one um and then this week uh sony has a movie called the invitation uh which is coming to theaters and we got a chance to sit down with director jessica thompson to talk about uh, her approach to the film so uh let's throw throw right to it this is jessica thompson joining the real blend podcast to talk about her new horror film the invitation One of the things I really like the most about the script for the invitation is that um, early on, it brings up all of the red flag issues that we would have with the premise while we're watching it, where we're like, you can't go on that trip. Or the minute you get there, like text your friend kind of thing. Uh, And it tackles those things head on. So what were the conversations like uh, about addressing those very real issues of like catfishing in 2022?
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is that Evie is, you know, someone who's looking for connection. She's a lonely person living in New York. She's just lost her mom. She has no family left. And then she meets, she finds out through a DNA test that she has this long lost cousin. And I think so. Therefore it's making that character believable, right? Like it's making that you know, this person that's really craving human connection and that she really wants to go on this journey. Also, someone who's like stuck in a Iraq, can't pay her bills, is allured by this, uh, you know, this newfound relative who can pay her way. And, you know, to be honest, I'm someone who has gone on a fifth date in Paris <laughs> and flew all the way over there. I'm someone who's like a, a sucker for romance. And it's like, you know, who doesn't want to go on this trip of a lifetime?
0: Hold on, we have to unpack that a little bit. <laughs> At one point in the middle of this process, did you think to yourself, maybe this isn't a great idea?
4: <laughs> no, absolutely. I'm still with the guy. We're married.
0: <laughs> hey, there you go.
4: So, yeah, we, met, we met in New York and then we had. A, we decided to fly to Paris. So, I mean, we definitely, I mean, isn't that what people want? People want love. People want romance, right? Okay, so, so I, that's
0: why there's a strong romantic current going through this horror film.
4: Oh, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love all kinds of films. I'm genre agnostic.
0: Well, that's I want to go into that because I was curious if um, horror was a genre that you wanted to sort of specialize in or if this was a one off project that you just were interested in in the concept.
4: No, absolutely. I'll definitely come back to horror, but there's so many other genres that I want to explore. Sci-fi thriller, you know, um, but, uh, definitely horror is something that I grew up on. I absolutely, to me, it's like a roller coaster. I was always addicted to the adrenaline high of knowing that the scare is going to come and then, you know, not wanting to look away, but wanting to look away. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up watching, you know, Jaws and the birds and, um, Uh, you know, Alien and, uh, you know, The Shining, these are all like my favorite horror films, The Omen. And I've always wanted to make a film uh, in this genre. And uh, when I read Blair's script, when it came to me, um, I thought, you know, what a unique way into an old kind of world, uh, you know, vampires, you know, that's definitely been done, but I felt this kind of origin story of A Bride of Dracula had really not been done. Um, And it felt really fresh and modern.
0: To that end, I want to talk about your use of sound design uh, because, and and I had to unfortunately watch it on a laptop, um, you know, but I can't wait to go into a theater because I can tell the way that you play with your mix is to keep your audience uh, off balance. So if you can, maybe just talk a little bit about the approach you had to that.
4: Yeah. I mean, sound design is one of my favorite parts of the process. It really is. Um, I love, we found a really unique blend and I won't give away what it is, but like, that to create the sound of the vampires um, you know I didn't want it to sound like anything else we'd heard before um, and I wanted it to sound organic though I wanted it to sound like it was an animalistic sound not like an alien sound or, or something like that something that came from this world um, but something just a little bit off about it and I really love as well working with my composer Dara um, we really got to create this sumptuous soundtrack and I, I was really drawn to kind of siren songs and uh, so we had three women sing a lot of the kind of orche- orchestral moments in the film oh, wow. and that kind of you know feeds into the three brides of dracula um you know so there's a lot of little things like that but something that i feel really works in especially in a cinema is that panning effect that you get when you get you know that beautiful atmos um, you know dobby atmos and it's like you never know which direction the creature's coming and that definitely adds to the horror right so yeah that's that's some of my favorite parts and being on these old lots at sony that you know so many big directors, uh, Mansco and and, you know, have have mixed their sound on the same stages that I got to mix. And it was just such a joy.
0: Yeah. Uh, you kick your movie off with a pretty disturbing death. Uh, I won't go into detail about it. I'll let people discover it for themselves. Um, but I want you to talk a bit about your approach to showing deaths on screen. Uh, you you do, you know, leave a lot to um, taking from Jaws. You know, it's more scary what you don't see almost. Um, and I'm just curious if that's a conscious choice that you made uh, in terms of how oh, you... Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I love a little bit of gore every now and then. Um, but it's like, to me it's always as soon as you show your monster this is something that I as even though Guillermo de Toro is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time um he shows these monsters quite quickly and that's because he's usually trying to have us empathize with the monster right but I think as soon as you show your monster then uh then they stop being as scary so to me it's all about you know leaving that off screen leaving it to our imagination often what we're imagining is worse than what we can show um so yeah I definitely it's definitely a conscious decision and I also think you know I wanted to make an elevated sophisticated horror film. I didn't want to just, you know, slashes are not really my thing. Mm. Um, Mm. You know, and I think, and for some reason, those films don't scare me. Like it's, it's genuinely when I care about the characters and I care about their relationships, that's when I get terrified.
0: Yeah. To that end, I I think that you, the way with your pacing um, you spend far more, more time on characterization, you know, and building up the relationships between the characters to the point where, uh, you know, almost an hour in, I'm like, isn't this a vampire movie? <laughs> like, you, you definitely are s- sustaining the tension so that you can get to your reveals later on. Uh, and I assume that that was that all built into the script or is that something that you worked on uh, as you were putting Yeah, it out I
4: mean, there? both. It was something that I added to once the scripts came, you know, that I added to. I was like, if we don't believe that they've actually fallen in love, then we don't care. Um, that's something that I truly believe the shining is one of my favorite horror films. And the reason why is we build up that family, we build up that family unit, unit So that when Jack turns on his family, uh, you know, that we believe it, that we're scared for them, that we also don't know whether to believe that. Is he truly evil? Is there any hope left? Can we turn him back? What's going on? You know? Uh, and I think you've got to spend the legwork you know, um, building up that tension, building up that authenticity. And, um, you know, some people might find it, you know, a little bit too long. I find it just right because this, you know, I made a horror film that I want to watch. <laughs> and to me, it's like, this is how it often works. You know, when you, when you get, uh, these real life horror stories, it's quite often not the monster under the bed, but the monster in the bed, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely, and you have such compelling uh, characters around Nat, you know, that we're always kind of second guessing their motivations and and trying to figure out what direction that the story may go in. Fell out of my Uh To that end, I want to bring up. I believe the is the the main butler. Is he played by Sean uh, Pertwee?
4: Yes, absolutely,
0: can my you favorite actor. Can you talk about his voice? His voice is outstanding.
4: I literally could have this man read anything to me. He could read the dictionary to me. Like it is just the most incredible voice and he has such control of it. Um, he is just a delight to work with an incredibly, incredible professional. He's been, you know, he's like a multi-generation actor, you know, his dad was an actor and I think been his granddad was an actor. And it really shows in like everything he does. Um, but that voice, I know. I'm just like, could you just read the-? I just, I just would sometimes randomly ask him to read things for me. <laughs> yeah,
0: there are reasons why Nat sort of distrusts him uh, early in the movie. And I don't want to sort of give those away. But like the way that he speaks, I was like, yeah, I could see that. It's something menacing yeah. about him.
4: <laughs> I definitely wanted to paint him as a villain. I mean, and he is for sure. But he it's just he's such an interesting, yeah, it, as soon as I as soon as I was casting this role, I knew Sean was the right person to play it, and I'm so glad he he
0: agreed. <laughs> so you mentioned The Shining a bunch, and obviously uh, the Overlook is a character uh, in that movie. Um, you have a mansion that's very much a character in your movie, and I was kind of stunned. do you use models is there model use at all in it um when you're showing exteriors is that an actual place no though i but i really
4: love uh using miniatures but i did not use them in this film so it's a real place so what happened is that we did build the sets so we built the uh some of the interiors but some of the we actually shot inside the solarium scene the rehearsal dinner scene inside the dining hall that those are real those are the, the music room those are all real sets Um, sorry, real location. Uh, Mm. And then we built like the Grand Hall and Evie's bedroom and things like that that we were in and needed a bit more space and a bit more manoeuvrability. But this castle is a real medieval castle in Hungary. and When I walked up to it, I knew immediately it was the castle. We'd gone on all these backstage tours of all these incredible castles in Hungary. Um, it was so fun to, you know, I'm an ancient history buff and it was just wild to be able to go, you know, into some of these castles that people, and see parts of it that people hadn't been in for, you know, decades. And, um, but yeah, this was in the Tudor style, which was, was right for our world, considering that, that, you know, the story is set in England. Um, but also once I found out that Madame Bathory's great, great grandson actually built that castle, it's called Naryshladan Castle. Um, I knew. So, for those who don't know, Madame Bathory is called the Blood Countess. She is arguably the first female serial killer, and she killed 600 virgins and bathed in their blood. And that was her great great grandson's castle. And there's a portrait of her in the castle, and it's so creepy. And I was like, oh, we have to film here. <laughs> like, this is a given.
0: I I want you to sort of. Uh, expand on the ability to sort of step into this this existing history, you know, to find these locations that actually do exist. Because what I think is an important selling point of this movie is that you do feel like you're walking into sort of a Victorian horror film. So uh, maybe talk about like concerns you might have had of being able to build the sets that really bring to life what's on the page, but then finding these castles, you know, that, that you can really use yeah. as locations.
4: I mean, because there's really two stories going on, right? There's the romance and then there's the horror. There's the kind of fairy tale and then there's like the thing that's boiling underneath. So you needed a place that really solved both. That really, on one hand, felt uh, charming and beautiful and alluring, and then on the other hand, you know kind of was macabre and disturbing um, and so finding that in the architecture is really important, but I really worked closely with Felicity Abbott, our production designer, and created um, a lot of the kind of textures that you see on the on the flooring on the on the ceilings, on the walls um, that really kind of pull you into that environment. Um, but yeah, it is, there is something to be said for like filming in an actual old, old place. Uh, also living in Budapest for six months, uh, Vlad the Impaler is who the original Dracula was based upon, or arguably right. that's what a lot of people believe. And he was actually held, uh, in prison under the Buddha castle in Budapest for 13 years and going to those tunnels and being there, knowing that that man, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago was there, this horrible human who you know, impaled all of these people, It's just, there's something, you know, magical about that. And that's the beauty of filmmaking is that you get to explore these worlds.
0: Imagine if you had to set up in Vancouver and try to capture that mood.
4: I know there was a thought at one point, because obviously I'm Australian of filming the Filming it in Australia, I was like, we don't have castles. <laughs> 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 it's not, you know. <laughs> uh,
0: I want to talk about the evolution of um, Evie's costumes, because I, I think that they speak a lot uh, about her character development. Early on, she, uh-oh, they're listening it's to it now. It's okay, it's,
4: it's fine. fine. No, that, no, a light went off, but it's fine. <laughs>
0: uh, early on, she sports this killer uh, Outlander t-shirt, which I found to be a really funny nod. Uh, but then she goes to this series of dresses that I think really sort of reveal the progress of, of her character. Can you talk about some of the choices made with that? And maybe start with that Outlander t-shirt because I Yeah, think I love different. that you
4: noticed that Outlander t-shirt. I was wondering here how many people will notice it. I mean, that to me is as well I was someone who over the pandemic I'm sure a lot of people did binged Outlander I mean, it was just, it's just one of those shows that like draws you in and it's like not even my style of show but for some reason I was just enthralled by it and so I wanted to like establish that she's a woman who kind of gets taken away, you you know, she's kind of someone who loves those romance stories. Um, and you know, I think a lot of us are like that. But uh yeah, and then the evolution, like you said, of what he is dressing her in versus her choice of costume. You know, she's got quite an eclectic artistic taste, and then he starts to dress her in these beautiful gowns. And the gowns, uh Danielle Knox, our costumer, was just, you know, she did these were all bespoke, you know. We designed these all from from scratch. And the, in particular, the rehearsal dinner. Uh, dress that she's in that red, those red feathers. I wanted to, her to look like prey, mm-hmm. you know, and so that's, that's why we chose feathers um, because if you notice, there's a lot of, uh, you know, dead things on the walls, like dead, you know, uh, deer and um, and goats and things like that. We've got uh, taxidermy all over the house. Um, so I was playing into that theme of like the prey and the predator and the hunter and the hunted. So I really, you know, I, in the rehearsal dinner scene where the plot really twists, uh, I wanted her to look, one, on one hand, this beautiful, you know, stunning ball gown. But on the other hand, she, she looks like prey, she you know. And that's, that's definitely something we were playing with in the costumes. And in her wedding dress, I wanted to do the, a traditional Romanian, you know, because that's where Dracula is from. So I wanted to do a traditional Romanian outfit, uh, but then modernize it. And so that's why it's got the backless back. But it's got the traditional, that's all traditional embroidery
0: the veil, uh, is chilling. The veil itself is chilling. Um, I'm not (laughs) sure how a design can actually hold that type of terror, but seeing that transition
4: going into the wedding I had in my mind from day one of going through the veil and kind of shooting through the veil. Um, that's something that I just, you know, hadn't really seen and I thought could be really eerie and creepy. And I think, I think it succeeds.
0: (laughs) You brought the pandemic. You didn't film at all during the, did you have to film during the pandemic?
4: we filmed, I mean, arguably it's still going on. So, um, sure. you know, we did film at the end of 2021. Uh, we got pushed back because of the pandemic. Um, so it was actually, we did have, we did shut down twice though. Uh, you know, luckily only for two days each time. But so it was definitely, uh, you know, not as hard as some other productions. It definitely came with its challenges and I'm very much over wearing masks on set because it makes it so hard, you know, to, to emote and to like communicate with your actors and your crew. Um, so I will look forward to the day when we don't have to do that. But of course, you know, better to be safe. So.
0: Yeah. I do love speaking to filmmakers to figure out like what kind of challenges they don't anticipate, you know, when those situations come up and masks, I'm sure are definitely one of them.
4: Yeah. And one of our, I mean, I don't think you'll be able to tell which character, but one of our smaller supporting roles uh, ended up getting COVID. We had to wait to film and we had to film her on a green screen. And, you know, so at the last minute we suddenly have to like, you know, do all of that and kind of make sure it's technically the right way and shooting it with stamp body doubles and like things like that. And, um, obviously it just adds more to your days. It adds, you know, it makes budgets a little bit tighter. Mm -hmm. Um, be lovely to one day not have to use a million dollars towards COVID and get to use
0: it towards the screen, right? What's on the screen. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk about Thomas, uh, and, and just the ability for him to, to walk this very difficult line between, uh, having to be likable, uh, but yet, you know, have us sort of keep a side eye on them. Can you talk about the conversations you had in terms of prepping that balance?
4: Yeah, and I really told him, you know, that was something that we really worked on in uh, rehearsals, uh, which is our, you know, really our time together to, um, you know, really hone this character. Uh, and I mean, first of all, I was impressed with him, wildly impressed with him. He auditioned for the role and he uh, he blew me out of the water. It was really like, it was his role to play. Um, and I said to him, you know, obviously you're playing layers, you know, you're playing your version of what you think, uh, she wants. And then when she, and then you're adapting to when she, you know, cause your ultimate aim is to win this woman over. Uh, so then you're adapting to what you, what she needs you to be. And then, but also deep down you're, you know. This evil, malicious person yeah. So, you know, there's multiple layers And like you said, he's got to be charming He's got to win the audience over um, And so sometimes I would just I would actually get him to do He's someone who loves to play And loves to do different takes in different ways And so sometimes if I even wasn't sure You know, or I wanted to get it in done in multiple ways We would We wouldn't just like deliver the same take over and over Sometimes I'd ask him to, you know Put on a little bit more charm Or like, you know, put in, give a nod to his under the undercurrents of his character And then mm-hmm. that's the beauty of the edit room and why the editor is the third storyteller because that's when you also get to craft your characters. Um, So, yeah, Thomas and Natalie, you know, to a lesser extent because her character is a little bit more, uh, you know, solid throughout. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, Thomas definitely we got to play a lot and uh, particularly in that library scene at the very end, we played a lot with it kind of going really loud and really soft and and just, you know, using his voice and his command of the space. Um, It was really great.
0: And then how much fun was it choreographing because eventually you get into some fight sequences uh, and it, and it's a deviation from what we've been experiencing up until this point. So how much fun was it to sort of plunge into that and ch- and test the physicality of your actors?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, you know, like I said, I'm someone who loves all genre, loves, you know, I'm genre agnostic, except don't see myself ever doing a straight comedy, though I would argue there's even comedy in this film. But um you know, I I love action, and I love action that's unique to a uh, character. So, for instance, you know, we all will quote The Matrix, and how much that style is unique to that world. And so, I really want worked with the um with the stunt team to figure out a style of fighting that was unique to these vampires, to these particular vampires. Mm. And that was really fun to kind of come up with that the use of their claws, the use of you know things like that, and using the claws as weapons as opposed to just like nails or something like that. Um, you know. Uh, uh, so yeah, that was really fun. And like uh, all of my actors were uh, are incredibly uh, talented in that regard and they all were willing, even Alana hadn't done stunts before, everyone gave it their absolute awe. And it's so fun, you know, who doesn't want to wake up every day and just get to like, you know, do these incredible Kung Fu moves. Um, and it was fun to film. I hadn't filmed action like that. Um, and I'm someone who's meticulous about what I do. And so I went and researched um, some of my favorite, you know, action films, a lot of, uh, you know, the master, uh, the grand master Wong Kar Wai And like, you know, a lot of Kung Fu movies that I love and, um, you know, really studied them to see how they create this tension um, in the action. And, uh, And also to still have character be at the forefront, you know, that they all have their own unique fighting style, depending on whether they're, you know, new to this world, like Evie, Lucy, who's younger and arguably a little bit softer, Victoria, who's more vicious. Like, how do we play with their characters within their physicality?
0: Yeah, it's very true because uh, what I was going to say is like it, there have been examples of vampires on screen over the years and the way that they uh, display their powers and you almost want to find a fresh way into that, which I, I feel that you did, you know, and sort of... Uh, but also keep
4: order. it grounded, right? Not just keep it like I didn't want it to be like supernatural and superhuman to the extent that it's unbelievable. Um, I really wanted it to still be physical fighting so that we feel every scratch and every punch.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's been a lot of talk lately about the, the sort of 45 day window, you know, to go out of theaters and get onto a streaming service. Sony obviously has been super supportive in terms of uh, keeping movies in theaters. And you see movies like Black Phone and, and obviously Nope doing really well uh, at the box office uh, this summer. So how important was it to, to have the invitation be in theaters, especially for sort of the communal aspect of, of a horror movie?
4: I mean, yeah, that's the joy of making a film, right? It's that communal aspect. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, the streamers definitely have their their role to play and um, it's incredible that we have now more stories being told because of it. Um, but really, this is a cinematic experience and I go to the cinema to laugh and cry and get scared with my fellow community. Um, and, you know, I just saw Note recently and it was so fun to do that in like such a communal setting. Um, and I think that this is the best way for this film to be enjoyed. Like you said, the sound design, the visual spectacle of it um, you know that's best enjoyed in the theater and sony has been an incredible partner they gave us this release date before we'd finished shooting uh, which is a very you know which is a great testament you know to me and the, and the crew and that you know it was something that i'm very proud about um, you know to have your film wide released around the world to be opening up in my hometown in sydney australia on the same day that i'm opening up in america you know that's just what a joy that's what filmmakers live live for
0: what will you do opening weekend
4: I mean, Sony's going to put on a little party, but uh, I, think I, I'm, I, I think I'm going to fly my mom out from Australia and um, just, you know, revel in the fact that I made a studio film and that I'm proud of it and that I think the film is sensational. And uh, yeah, and then maybe try not to look at, oh, well, look at reviews that are good. <laughs> look at the good reviews. <laughs> uh,
0: Jessica, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. Thanks a so lot. All right, talk Thanks. soon. <laughs>
3: This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse.
0: product is not intended to diagnose treat cure or prevent any disease Uh, we want to thank jessica thompson uh, for coming by the show and talking about her new film the invitation uh, which we're going to be discussing later on in the show in great detail and thank you to our friends at sony uh, for hooking that interview up so uh, a review is forthcoming before we get into the the meat of the show well i guess this is the meat of the show uh we want to talk about the house of the dragon premiere which had good numbers uh, on hbo max yeah fantastic to show that the Interest in the Game of Thrones franchise and and Westeros is still pretty strong, despite the fact that you know people like to kick around the final season of Game of Thrones, which I think is unfair. I mean, I, I really unfair. do think that there's good things in the final season of Game of Thrones. Um, and I, as a culmination to where it was going, uh, I think it was perfectly satisfying. And so, but but getting into this new show, uh, so the first episode was on Sunday. I don't know how many episodes are in the season. Do you
2: I looked it up? It's According to Google, it's 10, whether or not that's, I mean, but a majority okay. of the Game of Thrones seasons, particularly the early ones, were 10.
0: OK, gotcha. I think and that's what I'm, what I'm,
2: usual yeah. order. Yeah. What I'm curious about, though, is I don't know if you remember, with Game of Thrones, usually nine was the big one, mm-hmm. and okay. then 10 was oh, always yeah, kind yeah. of like the epilogue and the setup for the next season. So I'm curious if they're going to have that same sort of structure.
0: Well, and I guess I'll say up front that they're, we're not going to really get into spoilers here. How many did you say? uh just the one. I've oh, only, same same uh yeah i they gave us access to it for the junket and they only gave us access to the first one well i didn't do it but i still got the link to it, to watch it so i didn't get the junket, get the junket. <laughs> um so, but but if you don't want to know anything about <laughs> wait, wait, the house of the Jake, dragon
3: owner of the probably. dog daenerys didn't get the game of thrones junket i don't know I'm surprised you didn't get <laughs> okay, your way into here's, that
2: here's it i really thought that that was going to like help my case and this is how naive i am about this industry when contacting hbo about the junket i sent them a picture of daenerys and i was like this is my dog and her name's daenerys and uh, i really thought that that was gonna help it did not it at did all not. well as you as
3: you found out the opening card they were like we actually never yeah, want to has talk nothing about nothing to do with daenerys <laughs> we don't want to talk about yeah.
0: Daenerys. that was really funny in that yeah. opening card um for people who who might not have seen it, uh, they basically lay out the timeline uh, in in a opening credits sort of deal uh, and make it very, very clear that this place takes place 172 years before Daenerys uh, comes around. They basically had like a a neon arrow
2: pointing, like not about (laughs) Daenerys.
0: But... There are a lot of moments when you're watching this, uh, initial episode where, you know, because it is Westeros and it's, uh, is, is it King's Landing? Is that King's Landing, mm-hmm. the, the area? Like mm-hmm. there are a lot of familiar locations sure. and places the characters are walking through that you're reminded that, oh, okay, there's a rich history to mm-hmm. this show. And I had no problems. It was really funny. You were telling me in text, uh, Jake, that you were trying to like make connections to, uh, the existing, uh, characters or right. the the families that had been introduced already to this uh I didn't have that problem at all like right off the bat I was able like to Like you just didn't have that problem or you just
2: didn't care.
0: Um it's not that I didn't care I think I just accepted the fact that this takes place so far sure. uh ahead that I was just okay to get into yeah. whatever the because they established right off the bat that there's a um a king who has been put into place and we're a couple of years into his sure. run uh patty considine who i didn't recognize i not like i spent the entire episode being like who is that yeah. who is that um and then saw his name in the credits and i was like oh that's great uh but i i fell into it right away i you <laughs> know in and i got invested into it in the way that i was into game of thrones in that i'm already trying to figure out the political you know machinations of who's gonna be manipulating who and uh and i thought that it got off to a really great start i also thought Maybe they were kind of responding to the everything looks too dark in a few of our episodes, because this is like sun drenched mm-hmm. dragons flying through the sky, like right off the bat. And uh, I thought all the money. It's interesting because I had just watched the Lord of the Rings episodes on Amazon, and we'll talk about those when we're able to. And while these are similar, I thought that uh, House of the Dragon showed its budget more if it has. Oh, a higher really? b- Although although I think that's interesting, the that Lord of the Rings has a pretty high budget. They just look different. And House of the Dragon looks a little bit more authentic, if that makes sense. I thought it looked I thought it looked fantastic. And I thought the story was. Well, I feel like Westeros
2: is always because especially since they shoot all around Europe, like Westeros looks like a very tangible real world as opposed to um, the world of Middle Earth tends to short Mm. of like the New Zealand vast vistas that they shot in a lot of aspects of Middle Earth tend to need to be CGI in a way. Um, but, but Westeros has always to me felt very sort of lived in and felt like I, you know, like you could walk around, you know, Malta at any point and like turn a corner and, and and you're at a place where they shot game of Thrones or, or, or Milan or whatever the case may be.
0: Very true. Um, but I also was reminded, uh, Pretty early on in the episode that like, oh, yeah, this is really violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Game of Thrones is a really violent <laughs> series because this one gets uh, and especially it's a lot of it through Matt, Matt Smith, who seems to be like he's going to be a really fascinating character. Uh, and I'm intrigued to see where they go with this. Did you also enjoy the the first step into this world? Yeah, I really liked it. Um, it
2: felt in, in, in both a good and a bad way, I would say very familiar There was very much like going back into King's Landing, an element of like, oh, that's like, welcome back. We're here. Like it was it felt really cool. Even I think there there was a beautiful sweeping shot over King's Landing. And there was a moment where I was like, oh, like we're back. We're back in this place. But Um, Did you
0: think like, oh, this is all going to get burned to the ground one day? Oh, I did. I did. Because that went through my mind.
2: So there is an element of. And, and, and in the same way, it's kind of how I felt going into like the Star Wars prequels where it's like mm. it is kind of a bummer that like we know what's going to happen. Like we don't know. Mm-hmm. So I guess the big mystery is more so how and not like what? Mm-hmm. Um, because we're so far out, like 172 years, a lot of stuff has to happen before we get to the events of of I mean, the fact that they're already worried about the White Walkers, I thought was interesting, even though it doesn't happen for another 172 years. Um, mm. th- there are some aspects of the story that felt familiar in that. I just hope that we don't like, you know, the you know, the king feels a bit on the the weaker side, like a little bit of a Robert Baratheon. There, there are just a lot of elements where it's like, OK, I hope we don't go down those paths again. Mm. Like we like the the story needs to be shaken up a little bit and it can't just be a story of, of succession because we uh, literally already have an HBO show called succession that does that very well. Um, Mm -hmm. So there, I like, I'm I'm super into it. I thought it did a great job and granted it's just the pilot, you know, like most shows do not have themselves figured out by the time we do the pilot. So I'm super into it. I think it looks great. Feels great. Sounds great. The score is always just when it comes to the game of Thrones series. Um, I think all the casting is fantastic, but it's very much a like, okay, we're back in. Feels good. Sounds good. Feels familiar. But you got to give me something I've never seen before. Because as of now, this just feels like Game of Thrones.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Um, I didn't we read something recently that they at least have an idea of what the ending of this is. Did you read that? I mean,
2: it wouldn't surprise. I mean, I feel like they have to, right? And George R. R. Martin has been. I think they learned their lesson in that regard. Has been very involved yeah with this um and but though like doesn't i mean depending on how long they want to stretch this out a buddy of mine yeah. was like oh like i think this is only going to be like one or two seasons i was like no that makes no." like g- hbo needs another game of thrones like they're they're not they're not yeah. bringing all of this back for one or two seasons like they're looking right. to get many years out of this and i think that's why they set it so far back they do have I other g- spinoffs though right so yeah, maybe- well, they're doing the, they're doing the Jon Snow prequel series, which, which in a cool. way is oh, right. interesting because like if now if you start think of it in terms of like a television trilogy, Game of well, Thrones is like the middle chapter in a weird way. The John yeah. the John Snow stuff is a sequel though, right? yeah, prequel. it's a sequel. Yeah, oh, okay. it's a sequel to um what happened in Game of Thrones. Okay, that's what I thought. Oh, okay. um, gotcha. So so yeah, I'd be curious to see where this ends up going. Um, uh, they, funny enough, you were talking about the the Rings of Power. The showrunners of Rings of Power told me that they already know what the final shot of the show is going to be. That's interesting. Um, which, in my mind, it has to be. They good. naturally, of course, they wouldn't tell me what it was. But like, don't you think the last shot of Rings of Power has to be Bilbo's hand going into, uh, or oh, not Bilbo, uh, Sméagol, Sméagol's hand going into the water and grabbing the ring, and then that would be like the last shot. That would and make then sense. Just have it
0: sort of bridge into. But it kind of
2: reminds me of, and I actually, I'm a big defender of this movie. I love Red Dragon. Um, the mm-hmm. the oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the science of Lambs pretty And do you yeah, remember yeah. that like it ends with Lecter being back in the cell? Right. And that really mean warden being like, uh, like there's a young woman here from the FBI who wants to see you. Yeah. And then Lecter's like, what's her name? And it cuts to yeah. black. I always love that. I thought that was that great. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, that is, so, so cool. I think that'd be kind of cool if they did something like that. Rings of Power is next week, right? The September, September 2nd. September yeah. 2nd. Yeah. First 2nd, two episodes. Yes. First two episodes. First two. They're going to do, they're going to ah, drop gonna the first be... two, um, which are going to be available to see on the big screen on August 31st. Cinemark's going to play them on the big screen. Yeah. Which I that's will cool. say, I think, and, and Sean, you've seen them. I like whenever I was watching them on my TV, my thought went to like, damn, I wish I could see this on the big screen to me. It like, sure. feels like a big screen show. It, it um, really does. I'm so. curious to
3: see how that and this, how Game of Thrones and, and a Lord of the Rings series kind of going head to head with their it's seasons unusual. happening at the se- Well, cause they're going to be they're They're premiering two episodes. So it's almost like they premiered this week. Like whatever. I don't know how many episodes Lord of the Rings is, but it, they're going to be, I think Rings their seasons eight. are going to be exactly yeah. that far along. Yeah, as yeah, they're yeah. Going. Oh, I
2: think you're right. I think, let me see. If if rings is eight and they're dropping the first two on week one, does that mean that their finales are going to be
3: no, no? Because if they're dropping the first two on week one, it means that each 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 series is going to have two episodes out next
2: weekend. Exactly. So wouldn't that mean that? Oh, okay. But it's only yeah, eight yeah, yeah, it's only you You're right. Okay. So if yeah, they were I ten, then say, it
0: would be. The, and I don't think I don't think we can talk in depth at all about Lord of the Rings because I think there are embargoes, and I'm not quite so. sure when I they know. are. Up.
2: We can. We'll talk about it next week, so we don't need yeah. to. Yeah. Because Kevin's seen it as well, I think.
0: I'd like to say that they are very different.
2: Oh, Um, 100%. But it's it's an embarrassment of riches for fantasy fans right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Between between I, Sandman, which I know Gabe wants to talk about between Sandman and 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 Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. Like, yeah, in terms of the world of fantasy and like high caliber television, we are still very much, I think, within the age of the what do they what do they call it? the golden age of TV? The golden. Yeah. But it's um, also
0: I thought this, too, while watching both House of the Dragon and the Rings of Power, like the the line that used to separate television and, and movies in terms of like budget mm-hmm. and scope yeah. is is now, I know we've been saying like it's gone for a while, but yeah. it's completely oh, gone. Oh, it's, like, it's The Thrones was
3: kind of really put the nail in the coffin of that, right? Yeah. I feel like once we got like just the, whichever yeah. the first, like Battle of the Bastards, whatever one had the big battle that was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah, just yeah, looks yeah. like a Lord of the Rings. Yeah. People, I think, pulled yeah. Lord of the Rings out of the- Yeah, uh, That's another
0: it, reason why I kind of was like, oh, this would be so cool on the big screen. So yeah. I'm, I am kind of thrilled that like, that cool. and that's interesting too, that some of the movie theaters are at least... Bending their their previous you know rigidity about not putting anything streaming yeah uh, into 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 theaters. I know that it's Cinemark and it's not like a Regal AMC uh, situation, but still, if there's one near you and you have the opportunity to, and you feel safe enough doing it uh you have the chance to go see new tolkien uh in the theater which is pretty exciting um gabe you want to talk about the sandman which i don't even know is it on netflix it's
3: on netflix so i have not seen the house of the dragon yet we're recording this on tuesday because i spent my weekend binging um the sandman i saw some of our listeners reaching out asking us to discuss so i I, i'm not gonna how's thomas
0: hayden church is it good (laughs)
3: he's he's great he's great it was it was they repurposed every single one of his lines from the movie and then just (laughs) put them in a different context awesome um no it's it's really it's it's really cool and i i've been glad to see i had not read the comic although i've remembered after seeing it that someone gave me the first trade so i'm finally picking that back up and and reading it but it's based on a neil gaiman um comic book very very famous comic book and i before i saw it one of only
2: four graphic novels to ever make the new york times bestseller list Fantastic. Oh,
3: fantastic! Wow. That's cool. Yeah. yeah, and I was I was enthused to see fans of the comic because I had never caught up with it. Um, liked the series as much as sort of like general audience seemed to. It seems to be doing really well, uh, and I highly recommend it. I really enjoyed it. It was super bingeable. Like I said, I spent my weekend, um, sort of chewing it over. And the pitch that I gave Jake because he had seen the first episode and uh, he just hadn't committed to to going back to it was how. Um, It's it's really it's really okay with being very dark. It has like and I the Stephen King was the was the pull that I had um, when I referenced it for Jake because it has that sort of tone. There's one episode, episode five, if you're familiar with the series. Um, It's it's not. I don't want to give it the typical. You know how Netflix series always has like there's like the one episode that's completely separate. You know, Mm -hmm. this is Mm -hmm. sort of that episode for the Netflix series, but it is fantastic. um and I think it earns its place in the series at large, um, but it's you know this one episode barely has the main characters in it. It has one guy that's sort of a piece of the story, hmm. and uh, and it's just this very King Stephen King esque, uh, simple like felt like it could have been the script for somebody's own like feature film, like indie horror feature film about you know what if a, what if a guy who has the power to compel everyone around him to tell the truth and and only the truth. Uh, of how they're feeling in the moment. What if they walked into a diner in a small town and where everyone kind of knows each other, how would their dynamics change and, and how would that sort of
0: situation Wait, build? Is that the premise of one episode That's or one the whole episode. series? That's one. Oh, episode. Okay.
3: That's okay. what I'm saying. Like it, it, the, the series for me, it has this brilliant sort of ability. It's not an anthology and it's not a monster of the week, but within it, it had this, it has this really great cadence of sort of letting you drop into these singular stories that, sort of progress the through line but just builds the world out about like how colorful and dark and and wild um the world can be the, the series itself is about follows um this character called morpheus or dream or the lord of dreams uh the king of dream king of the dreaming um and it's it's a fantasy story that's basically set in our world but it's what if um sort of destiny despair um death and dreams were personified as sort of gods. They're called the endless. Um, and the whole series, this whole first season um, does a really good job of sort of trickling the mechanics of the world and the rules of the world out to you as you go, which I thought was really great. Like even like the last scene of the, the final episode, some of the dialogue reveals things that sort of still keeping you guessing about how the machinations of everything works, which is really exciting and has you excited mm-hmm. for, for what's to come next. Cause you don't totally know how these, Gods interact and 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 why they are the way they are, um, but the central story follows Dream, who's who basically when we fall asleep, we uh, we go to his world, his 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 realm, which is the dream world, and uh, he sort of is in charge of our dreams of creating dreams and nightmares and and how that is uh, affects humanity, um, and the series is sort of him rebuilding that after it's destroyed, and it's um, it's pretty I'm,
0: awesome. I'm ignorant on. Neil Gaiman who I know that people kind of love is is this primarily what he's known for or does he have other properties and American that?
2: Gods is pretty he pretty he's popular. known for too? I,
0: I would
3: say he's extremely prolific I myself am slowly sort of going through his work and I'm I've been loving it um there's a lot that he's that he, I would say, he's American Gods is one. This yeah. is American the other. Gods one is honestly
2: probably one of the top five novels I've ever read in my entire life. It's, it's oh wow. it's just a phenomenal, it's, phenomenal yeah. book. Yeah,
3: and this, I would say this is this is up there as one of his more um, notable works that that, um, and definitely more popular works that people know. Um But it's great. He's a great world builder, and I think has a really interesting way that he approaches um sort of character and story. It feels very like it feels very ground. It's fantasy, but it feels very grounded. Um and then it's just sort of like moments of whimsy that just kind of take you to another world so it's cool. cool
0: all right well before we move out of the uh what we're loving on streaming i just want to mention that michelle and i are late to the staircase uh, sure but we started watching that and uh colin firth is incredible um is he up for awards did that time pass i think
2: i think he and she were nominated
0: tony collette yes or oh, to, okay. me,
2: to me tony collette is is the mvp of i mean what Well, particularly because we get so many different variations of, quote unquote, the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my God, that's without getting too much into it now. um, The did you ever see the Netflix documentary that they talk about? No.
0: OK, no, this is what we were curious about. So Michelle yeah. and I are through four episodes yes. at this point right now. And for people who have no clue the characters, the main characters over the course of this trial are being followed by a documentary crew. Yeah. Um, and we're trying not to research sure. too much because sure. we really don't want to know where the show is going, sure. which is weird because this whole this took place in North Carolina, but it took place in mm-hmm. Durham. So Durham's like, yeah, I was wondering and if and you're familiar with that story. I, I I was familiar with the story um, only because it was in the headlines around here kind of thing. Um. Oh, Gabe says that Tony Collette and Colin Firth were both nominated and absolutely needed to be. They mm-hmm. were incredible. And this whole cast is loaded with yeah. incredible people yeah. like. Um. Tophy Turner. Uh, Michael Stolberg. And uh, oh, yeah, so Michael Stolberg
2: might be one of the most underappreciated actors working today. Like just He's that man amazing. is amazing. Oh, genuinely Parker Posey. One of the best. how great is. Yeah, oh Posey my God. This, I didn't even realize this. like like it's one of those things where like, you know, it's Parker Posey, but she's so yeah. completely different than she nor. Oh, she's phenomenal.
0: And then the girl who plays Priscilla Presley in the Baz Luhrmann movie, yes, yep, uh, is the other daughter mm-hmm. who sort of defects. Um yeah. it's it's great. It's a mm-hmm. really fascinating uh, story, and I'm really curious to see where it's going to go. Yeah, because it goes in directions of, that you don't think it should go. Yeah, well, no, that's what I was I saying. Expect. Like, we just finished episode four. There are eight total, and when we got to the end of four, it there was like closure, a sort of closure, and and Michelle. turned to me she's like is that it like is that the end of it and i was like no i think there's like another whole half of the story to go so we'll i'll be curious to see where it's gonna go i was i was wrong okay so i thought that uh michael peterson who colin firth plays Mm -hmm. had a situation in one of his books that a character died by falling down the stairs is that not the case at all did i make that up completely
2: I don't know. Because he rem- is a writer. Mem- yes, he is a writer. I don't remember that coming okay. up.
0: I thought like that it's, was. It's significant been a while since I've it's been a few months since the I prime. saw
2: the, the series.
0: Okay. Well, it's great. And if you have HBO Max, I would highly recommend. Yeah, before they out, take it away. If you like true and <laughs> those oh, shit stuff, right? Jeez, we better finish those four episodes <laughs> before they just yank it up there. You guys see uh, that? Someone posted service. um When are they gonna see. change the
3: name to HBO minimum?
2: Oh nah.
0: Someone
3: posted
2: that that um, a shot of uh, from Infinity War of everyone dusting and they said that uh, this is (laughs) HBO Max right now and it's all their titles just like disappearing. Did you guys
3: notice how uh, that teaser that they released like yesterday or whatever? It felt very much timed around all this
2: news about things dropping. They're like, we've got a ton of stuff still coming. Yeah, but there (laughs) are are a lot of things in there that people thought were being canceled. Like Titans was still in there and exactly like Doom Patrol was still in
0: there. You know what I love is that they're taking stuff off but tusk kevin smith's tusk made it back on hey, page hey, somehow hey
2: i like yeah. tusk and it's kevin's in charlotte kevin, north carolina kevin smith just told me minutes ago that yes. he, he's planning on doing a tusk too
0: no he's not
2: very good and, and then i talked to justin long a few <laughs> minutes later and he went i was like dude kevin smith just told me you guys are doing tusk 2. and he was like what the hell he just texted me that i thought that was supposed to be a secret
0: He's not. He's doing mall rats, too, and, and he's and then, doing and then I, uh, I
2: said, and then and then we did the our one of my favorite jokes. This is a, like like Tusk with like the James Cameron. He goes, yeah, it's going to be Tusk with an S, and then it's going to be a dollar sign. It's going to be Tusk's with a dollar sign.
0: Beautiful. I think that's the greatest story in the world. Well, I could love you that. Call it? Uh, a joke we'll never sold. We'll see what happens, um, and we're gonna. Oh, well, Clerks Clerks stop, Three is coming stop, to theaters. Jay, I'm going <laughs> to mute all of that. that is just, the, the complaints, I already see them in my inbox. Uh, Clerks <laughs> Three is going to be coming to theaters very, very soon, and we hope to maybe get Kevin Smith on the show. So I will. Uh, I'll tease that out without. Uh, we were promises. in his home. Yes, you never know. and he talked and
2: extensively about that. It's not that he, he wouldn't both my interview it's, and Kevin's interview.
3: It's that yeah, you never just, know
0: when things fall through. And also, if you haven't heard, Kevin's bringing Clerks 3 around on a roadshow tour and he announced a bunch of dates. And so uh, if he's coming to a town near you, you should go see that. Did he go to
2: Charlotte already?
0: No, he's going to be coming. um, And it is a weekend when I'm going to be out of town. Oh, no. Yeah. Seeing a a band who I love playing.
2: Um, Hootie and the Bloodfish. That's
0: right. I do love some.
2: I do
3: love Hootie and the Bloodfish. I
0: mean, don't rip. Don't rip Hootie.
2: There's
3: nothing.
0: I I love Hootie. Yeah, it's great. I don't think they play live anymore. They are from South Carolina, though. They went to the University of South Carolina. They're no. I mean, mean, to be honest, like
2: Darius Rucker, who's now a country star. It's basically like hearing Hootie. Yeah, essentially.
0: Yeah. Uh, And you were at the Grand Ole Opry too. Not that he he didn't. He didn't didn't end up going. But
2: um, I didn't realize he was supposed to be there. Um, Okay. I didn't realize it was my first time seeing a country show at the Grand Ole Opry. I've been to the Grand Ole Opry before, but for other things. I didn't realize. I kind of equate. Going to the Grand Ole Opry is like getting a pack of baseball cards where you okay. sort of open it and you don't you kind of are flipping through and you don't really know everybody. And then all of a sudden you get like a King Griffey Jr. So, you know, oh. um, we sat down and didn't know who was going to be performing. And it was like a couple of like up and comers, like all, all very talented. Like if you're on the stage of Grand Ole Opry, obviously you're good at what you do. Sure. So very talented. Yeah, yeah. So a couple of people you don't know. And then all of a sudden, like Carrie Underwood walks out for like four That's, songs. Okay. And she sings four songs and then goes back. And then a couple of people come out, that like, you don't know. And then like Trace Atkins comes out and sings, you know, a couple like it's it was really cool. Like you didn't really know it was, like it was four fun. of
0: her songs or yeah, four of like, her songs, country staples, four of her songs. OK, gotcha.
2: It was cool, cool, but I didn't realize that it was kind of like when it, I always thought it was like Grand Ole Opry was like one person comes out and it's their stage for the night. But it's a pretty yeah. eclectic mix. I know this is not on the schedule of things to talk about, but I thought that was very interesting.
0: I do. I do kind of love hearing about the uh, exploits of uh the robot guys when they head out into the into the field, because Jacob well, really I sent cool you um, awesome well,
2: too. I sent the boys a picture of because i I was doing some interviews of the Opry over the weekend. and um the, I was hoping that you guys would focus on the fact that like my boots were in the were in the frame.
0: I did uh, admire your boots. no but uh, or the or is there
2: a refer to um shit kickers? Yes.
0: yes, That's you, what Dave, you've to. heard that expression. <laughs> I've heard
3: that expression, but I don't think a man who lives in the third biggest city in the country has shit kickers on his feet. I don't think they were either.
2: purchased when I live
3: in Texas. Oh, okay. All yes. right.
2: Okay.
0: That makes right. a lot of
2: sense. They haven't kicked shit in a long time. <laughs> I was going to say. It's <laughs> it's been a long time since <laughs> <that> they <laughs> kicked shit. A lot, of, a lot of pavement where you're walking with
0: this. All right. Uh, there's a couple of movies that are opening this week. Two of them that we haven't yet seen, but a few of them we can get to talk about. Um, and, and these first two are ones that I almost feel deserve a lot more attention, and it's a little bit sad that we haven't had a chance to see him one is a george miller uh film called three thousand years of longing that i want to say was at Cannes. Mm -hmm. is that where it it started to screen um and i thought got pretty good reviews but um there was no opportunity to screen it here in charlotte they didn't have one in chicago i'm gonna guess
2: no i don't remember there being. that's not to say that there wasn't but um yeah this is I, Tilda
0: Swinton and Idris Elba. Yeah,
2: which because like okay. Idris made the rounds for Beast, but didn't right. seem to really be doing much for, for this film.
0: Yeah, um, and I don't really know anything about it, to be honest with you, because I didn't read a lot about it when it was at Cannes because I just wanted to see it and sure. I didn't want to get too lost into the storyline. Um, but now it's coming, so it'll be available in theaters. If you guys want to check it out. Um, From the and director of Babe, one. Pig in the City. Yes, and that's also his, my favorite. his favorite credit. Mad Max Fury Road. I seriously uh, think well that too. like
2: it would have been really funny if for Mad Max Fury Road if they had said like from the director of Bay picking just just totally went with it and I think it would have been. They, fantastic. they, they put but that, that on
3: the that. black
0: and chrome edition. Wait, or, a, do they
2: really? No, I'm
0: just. I oh that would be, that be really be cool. cool. <laughs> That'd be <even> <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> um, when we were at CinemaCon in Vegas earlier this year, Lionsgate showed a uh, trailer or like a behind the scenes sort of putting together of this Sylvester Stallone movie called Samaritan. And I thought it looked pretty badass and um, it is now coming to prime video. uh, So I'm not quite sure what happened there, Um, but it is a superhero movie of sorts uh, starring Sylvester Stallone. He is like a retired superhero um, who no longer fights for whatever reason. Um, And because a lot of the superheroes have stopped fighting crime, um, it's a hellscape sort of, you know, future apocalypse type thing um and he gets discovered by i I think a little boy who like recognizes him from his past exploits and then tries to lure him back into fighting um but it looks like stallone is getting a john wick type franchise Mm -hmm. um but he's got superpowers and i thought it looked really interesting and intriguing and so i was looking forward to getting a chance to check it out before it came out and i even pushed to get the director on the show and uh but instead, Samaritan's going to Prime Video. So check it out when it lands on Friday and see what happened there. Um, John Boyega is in a film called Breaking uh, that Jake got a chance to see. So, Jakey, what do people need to know about it?
2: Um, it's a great performance by by Boyega. Um, so basically, it is a true story of mm. a veteran who, when he returns home from the war, uh, deals with uh, PTSD mm. and he deals with mental illness and really just is trying to scrape by and survive he meets a woman and they have a daughter um and he's really trying to work with the VA to get the the benefits that he is due he's mm-hmm. not asking for much he's basically asking for the the couple of 100 bucks a month that that is owed to him um, but he finds himself in a situation where he's not getting the benefits that he's due. And he, he finds himself on, on the hard side of life. And and he tries to reason with the people who with the VA and, and with the government to kind of give him what he's owed because he's got a daughter and he's got a, he's got a wife. And and they're they sh- short of uh, humiliate him. They, they throw him out. At one point, they handcuff him and throw him out. I mean, this is a man who, like, served his country. And at the VA, they're throwing him out onto quite literally throwing him out onto the street. Mm-hmm. So he takes it upon himself um, to walk into a Wells Fargo bank and um, very politely. That's that's kind of the interesting thing about this. This man and Brian very politely uh, tells the, the bank tellers, I have a bomb. He mm-hmm. gives a sign that I have a bomb. Get everyone out. Two of you stay and call the news stations, and we're going to get me the $900 that I'm owed. He's not asking for a million dollars. He's not asking for a helicopter to take him to the Caymans. He's asking for the money that he's owed for being a veteran of this country. Um, It is a true story, a a really powerful story. Um, The ending, without getting into it, will just make you kind of question the system and 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 how all of this works and, and how we're treating our veterans. But it's really um, an incredible opportunity for John Boyega to show what I think if you've seen him outside of Star Wars, you've known for a while that he's a truly tremendous actor. I mean, yeah. from Attack the Block and, and Detroit. I mean, I think he's really, really an amazing actor who has much more to show than I feel like. I mean, I liked him in Star Wars, but I, I really feel like After Force Awakens. Finn was kind of put to the side and he wasn't given the opportunity that he deserved to show just what he could have done with that character. Um, So I'm glad that he's taking roles like this that maybe aren't necessarily big splashy. I know he did Pacific Rim, but like maybe these aren't the big, splashy blockbusters. But like he's taking roles that say, hey, like I'm a great actor. And if you give me the right material, this is what I can do with it. Um, It's Mm -hmm. worth it's worth seeing for his performance. Um, Kind of even though this is a true story and and the film I'm going to compare it to is not. Um, it kind of reminds me of John Q in a way, if you remember that Denzel film from about 20, okay. 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Just sort of someone that's like doing uh, doing a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing to go in and like like hold up a bank and like have hostages, but like where you sort of go, hey, man, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a strong film. Um, I don't necessarily think it's going to be an awards contender or anything, but um, really just a tremendous performance by by, by uh, Boyega. And um, if you get a chance to read the article that it's based on, uh, the article goes much deeper into so many of the elements that the movie just doesn't have time to go into. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, I, w- I would recommend watching the film first and then doing a little bit of research on who this guy was and going into it. Cause the, the article that it's based on is really a fascinating is read. It
0: like a magazine profile or yes. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So that's called Breaking and stars John Boyega and can be found in theaters this week. Let's take a quick ad break before we continue on with uh, the new Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg film. And then the movie The Invitation, which we discussed earlier in the show. And we are back. OK, so Netflix has a movie that's coming um, out called Me Time and it stars Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg. Um and it is not good. <laughs> oh no. I don't know how else to, to tell you this. I mean, I've um, seen the trailer. Just, it doesn't look astounding. Yeah, it um it, it feels like and and maybe this is unfair, but you know, Netflix is now putting out a lot of content and um this felt to me it got a lot of I'm going to give it a lot of criticisms that something like Red Notice seemed to get, which I didn't think was fair for Red Notice. I didn't necessarily see it, but that I'm it was like Red cheap and green screeny. Like um, and it's just like now it is like an algorithm, you know, like, yeah, these two stars get put together in this wacky situation. And um, I have not like
3: I have not seen the movie, but based on the trailer, I was going to say it looks like they found a few weeks where Mark Wahlberg and uh, Kevin Hart were. Weren't weren't busy and they parked them outside of a studio and they just did several scenes and tried to make each other laugh.
0: That's pretty much what it that's what what I got from the trailer. (laughs) I mean, even like the so to describe it, it's like Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg were best friends and they would get together for their for specifically for Mark Wahlberg's birthday and do some like blowout celebration stunt type thing but um kevin hart eventually uh got married to regina king's character and had a family and became like a suburbanite type stay-at-home dad whereas mark Wahlberg kept going on and doing his things and they grew apart and then for one weekend uh regina king finally comes up with an excuse to say like hey i'm gonna take the kids uh you should just have some time at home uh and do your own thing um and it, it pairs kevin hart up with mark Wahlberg for them to go out on these adventures but um it it opens right off the bat with like a throwback to to them uh where Mark Wahlberg is celebrating his 29th birthday. Does not look like he's celebrating his 29th birthday in the least bit at all. Uh because he's 40 uh Netflix yeah, didn't look, dip into the Irishman the, budget. The, yeah, the Irishman budget. <laughs> no, not only that, because they're supposed to be doing this like a cliff diving type thing where they're wearing those those suits that if you spread your arms out, they turn into parachutes. Yeah. Uh, they are nowhere near a cliff. And nowhere near. And they're, not, they're not outdoors uh, from the get-go. And so, uh, yeah, it just, I don't know. It, it it looked cheap, and it was never really funny. And it was, you know, everything seemed kind of forced. And um, I don't know. Look, this just feels like, again... So that Netflix has an opportunity, you know, on one of their investor investor days to be like, look at all the stars that we're putting together. But then they actually have to come up with a project to put them into. And, um, you know, I don't think it's great because both of those guys can be really, really funny in projects. And especially, you know, uh, if you pair them up with with other people, whether it's Wahlberg with like uh, Will Ferrell or Kevin Hart does a lot of stuff with The Rock. And and it's not that the two of them are bad together. They just the material is is atrocious. And so. Mm. Do you think
2: that the actors these days would be more selective of the quality of their work if it was going to theaters?
1: Yes, like like I think
2: I think they would look you know, I haven't I've not seen this film, but based on how you're describing it, they would probably look at the script and go, oh, it's not because when a movie bombs or doesn't do well, it kind of lingers over an actor's career, at least until like their next hit. As yeah. opposed to if they just put a movie out on streaming and whether it does well or not, like people see it, they talk about it and then they move on right. to the next. It just doesn't, it doesn't leave the stench on their career yeah. like a theatrical bomb does. And so I feel like that's why so many of these big actors are willing to do lesser quality films if they're getting paid, because it just doesn't anchor down their their career like a theatrical disappointment does. And to circle back,
3: Sean, to you mentioned Red Notice Red Notice had a good story. It sounds like this doesn't have a good
0: story. Like it doesn't. No, yeah. I mean, it, it just keeps making up stuff as it goes. But you know what? To, to go to Jake's point, it used to be that like comedians specifically would almost talk about like they'd get hell from their audience if they had to get a babysitter and go out to the theater, you know, to go see your new movie. And the last two that you gave them stunk, you yeah. know? Then they'd hold it against you, and you'd worry that you're not going to bring your audience back. But if you're just on streaming, and you the people can watch 15 or 20 minutes and see if it works it's or content. not, bounce, on, bounce yeah. to the next thing. And
2: if Netflix only gauges success by whether or not you watched 120 seconds of their movie, you oh, know that that's for real. That's, I mean, isn't isn't there. it like isn't it like two like how many like how many people watched two minutes of the movie is how they determine? Well, and they don't even disclose the numbers. Like they yeah
3: they won't even tell Kevin Hart and and Mark Wahlberg
2: if their movie was did well. Like they just
0: don't yeah.
3: tell yeah.
2: anybody.
0: Wow. So um, yeah, I always yeah, go back to that I, Michael Caine Jaws
2: 4 quote where he's like, I've, I've never seen Jaws 4, but I saw the, the house that it built. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Although, you know, how much more money do Mark Wahlberg and Kevin Hart need? Is, That's true. What but I'm also, asking. like, are
2: they, is that just going to be because I like Mark Wahlberg and Kevin Hart, but is that just going to be their bit for the rest of their career? Like like buddy movies where Mark plays like the tougher part and buddy movies where uh you know kevin hart kind of plays the, the guy that gets made fun of like who, and he, he's paired with the tougher guy like that seems like that's the role Maybe, where they're slowly slipping into kevin's
0: been doing that for one you know, of those a long a year time for, now at this point yeah. yeah ride along and yeah and central intelligence and yeah. all those types Jumanji of films so. and, yeah yeah that's that's sort of his thing at least Wahlberg walberg at this one at least is not playing the stoic yeah uh you know police officer type yeah Thing about. he's got a he's got a secret uh, that I can't give away. Um, that's part of the script, but he's more of an upbeat sort of party guy, which is fun to sort of watch him dig into that. So that's cool. But not enough for you to spend time watching it. Uh, Jake, tell us about the invitation.
2: It feels like an August horror film, an August that's horror fair. film or like a January horror film. Um, a young woman who doesn't really know much about her family uh, finds that she has this connection uh, with this uh, upper class family in England, and they happen to be hosting a a, a wedding for non related family members. It's important to to say, yeah. and they say, hey, since you're this new family, and we're all excited that like we have found you and that you're you're your part of the family, come come to this wedding, come come, you know. So she she flies uh across the pond and goes to this very upper class um wedding which again is emphasized that the, that her family is hosting it but the family that's or the person that's been getting married like they're they're not related I guess is, is is the point is that because so, she falls, she falls in love with someone at the wedding. But it's important to mm. emphasize that the person she falls for, she's not related to. They do a very good job of emphasizing that. Yes. Um, but then it turns out that there is a dark, sinister reason that she has been in, invited there. And it turns into I think it's safe to say without it being a spoiler because it's in the trailer. It turns into a vampire film. OK. Um, and then from there, it. Everything was, I, I don't know. It's, it's, this is the least sexy kind of review to do because, like, I didn't think it was bad. Um, I love the horror genre. So, like, at, at worst, I thought it was, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, yeah. you know, it's exclusively in theaters. I can't honestly, I guess, I guess the, the bad part of this review is that I can't say that it's worth paying to go see in theaters. Mm-hmm. Um, it really feels like the kind of horror film that they drop in a January or an August kind of period of the month. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly fine. Um, Natalie Emanuel from Game of Thrones, uh, plays the lead. It's, you know, it's it kind of feels like a lesser vampire twist on Ready or Not. Nowhere near as good or as sharp yeah. as, you know, as as that kind of film. Um, you know, it's again, it's unsexy, but it's 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 fine. It's not particularly scary, but I was intrigued enough to like at least get through it.
0: Oh, I, I didn't think it was scary at all. And no, in fact, it's not. I, I thought there was like it's it's a little bit more romantic it leans into like a romanticism Mm -hmm. like it it almost has gothic romance they would call it yeah yeah yeah. it leans heavily into that because she falls for you know one of the people who are at the wedding and then it it kind of loses itself throughout the course of the second act Mm -hmm. of whether their relationship is going to come together Mm -hmm. sort of thing i thought the movie spent a lot of time on that what bothered me the most about the invitation is that um the premise the central premise um when it's stated in the movie You, as an audience member, will say, no, 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 like, no, no, because she gets invited to a wedding, you know, for strangers that she's never Mm. met before in her entire life. And it's like a million red flags go up and I can't give a movie a pass because they write a few lines of dialogue into it where another character goes hey, you shouldn't go on that trip, you know, and or be really careful when you're over there. And make sure you're texting me constantly. It's like, yeah, I get that. That's fine. You're a little bit covering your bases. But for the most part, the movie should have stopped after five minutes. You yeah. know, where she should have been like, hey, come to this wedding. And the girl, if she had any sense, would have been like, no, no, I'm not going to go to that. I have no idea who you people are. So um, but I'm with you. You know, I I didn't I didn't hate it in the least bit. I thought it was perfectly fine. Uh. You're right in the fact that the that vampire twist should not have been in the marketing. Yeah, it would have been great if they got people into the theaters, not suspecting where it was supposed to go. Yeah, but I even thought it telegraphed all of that pretty, uh, pretty early on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh,
2: without getting to spoilers, I cannot praise the trailer for Barbarian enough, and that you can watch, you can watch the trailer for Barbarian ten times, and I guarantee you, you won't have any idea what that movie is about and they could have done something similar with the invitation um, but instead there's literally like i think the eye in invitation and the logo is a stake
0: okay so they're um, telling you exactly so, what you're getting into.
2: yeah in you know one. you're so they had a chance but then again to yeah, me I mean, that, better marketing doesn't make the movie any better like you ah, still sure. would have been
3: what that rings to me i haven't seen the movie and i i don't work at a studio to me that sounds like they probably wanted to not reveal that, and then they cut the movie together, and it was just a meh movie. And they were like, yeah. "We can't, we can't uh, not like the only way we're going to get people is if we tell them put in a the trailer movie. that it's a vampire movie, and we just try to get people who are interested in watching vampire movies." Yeah, because this movie's
2: yeah. meh. Yeah, I mean, then again, I mean, I I think I want to say I've seen the trailer for From Dust Till Dawn, and and it reveals that it's a vampire movie. But like at this point, that movie's is old really? enough now. I'm pretty sure it does. Um, at this point, it's old. It's an old enough movie that it's possible to come across people who haven't seen it and also are like so far removed from pop culture. They haven't seen it. So that's a movie that I mean, we as we've talked about, if you can show that to people who have no idea that it's a vampire movie and when it when it it turns, it's always such a great moment to watch people's reaction to that.
0: All right, let's shift to our uh, blend game this week, which is hashtag music biopic blend. And um, Gabe, why did we why did we choose this topic? Was there a reason? It's a giveaway, baby. Oh, nice. See, what a yes. good transition.
3: So I'll, I'll just do the giveaway pitch now. If you're listening to this Friday morning, I, I don't pick these until around noon central time. Um, feel free to write in. Hashtag music biopic blend. Um, and we have five codes to give away triple pack of uh, music biopic movies from the lovely folks at Movies Anywhere. So make sure you have access to Movies Anywhere when I reach out. Um, and that includes Straight out of Compton, Unrated, Elvis, and Summer of Soul, our, our nice. triple pack. Which Summer of Soul, oh. not necessarily like a, a fictional biopic, but a wonderful documentary, underrated. Sure. And overshadowed. Oscar this winning. Year's, yes, whose Oscar was overshadowed oh. by obvious Yeah, I would say that's, I,
2: I will always feel bad for so. uh, for Questlove. In so that maybe
3: that's the movie this this week that we stretch into the biopic. You know, uh, category, that'll be but I, but I love in, for
2: that, in so. ten or fifteen years. That will be a great trivia question at like at trivia yeah. night at a bar. Like, what is the Oscar that Chris Rock was giving out when he got slapped? Oh, yeah, that will I'm that'll sure, be a great oh. trivia question. Oh yeah, I bet that's because that, I, I, that's one of those things that like. We remember that, but would, you know, an average person.
0: Oh, well, no. that's my point. It's overshadowed it. Yeah people, yeah. people don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, well, why don't you just keep going? Hold the baton and give us your sure. pick for hashtag music biopic. Blend. So
3: not to deflate this music biopics are not my particular cup of tea. I enjoy them when I, I've i enjoyed the ones that I've watched, but it, it's rarely do I feel um, excited to sit down and watch one. Like it's like well, I feel I get, like
0: they follow a formula, mm-hmm. you know, that's the big they, they like
2: walk hard and makes fun of.
3: Yeah.
0: Yes. That's, very much so.
3: That's sort of the issue. I did really enjoy Elvis um, because I didn't know yeah. anything really about Elvis other than some of the controversy around his music and a little bit of this and that because he's Elvis. Um, yeah. So it was cool to see, you know, more in depth, a certain angle of his his story was cool. I mean, I thought that that movie, regardless of who it was about and what happens in it, I thought the way that it was made, it was like I did not expect it to be as exhilarating and much of a journal watch. My pick is not Elvis, though. Um, my pick is Walk the Line. Um, for nice. me, I think it's a great movie. I haven't seen it in a while, so maybe worth a rewatch. But it's one of those, uh, you know, again, this is favorite. It's one of those special movies for me where um, Johnny Cash was one of my grandfather's like favorite musicians, mm-hmm. was a big thing in our household. Um, and that movie came out like not too long after my grandfather passed. Um, and uh, And so it was just kind of like this serendipitous moment of Getting to sort of remember him and experience something, someone that he loved, someone that he, sort of like an icon and a legend to him, um, let alone the amazing performances and the, and the incredible story and the way that comes together. Obviously, Walk Hard um, undercuts that movie in a way because it's so funny um, yeah. by just kind of retelling that story. <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, but for me, like I said, in a genre that I don't necessarily have a ton of experience with, that I have a ton of movies that I love in, um, for me, that one has that special little little touch of, of why well, I appreciate it.
0: And uh, James Mangold, you know, who people Mangold didn't David. really recognize yet, was such a talented filmmaker, yeah. uh, I think yeah. surprised a lot of people. Uh, they with said, that. somebody
3: give this guy the
0: Wolverine. Yes, they did. <laughs> Took it and ran with it. Yeah. Uh, Someone give Walk this guy the,
2: Indiana Jones. Oh. Walk
0: the Line was uh, the... F- was the movie that I saw. It was the first movie I saw at the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, do the junket? I, on my very first trip up there. I did wow. do that junket.
2: Oh, yep. what a junket. Were I they got, paired or were they separate?
0: Separate. They Ooh. were separate. Um, and I didn't get mangled. I got Reese Witherspoon and I got Joaquin. And cool. um, when I went to the, I was up in Toronto to do the junket and I went to Fox's suite and they sent me to a screening room um, because uh, we, we were seeing it up there. And I went in, and the only other person who was in the screening room with me was uh, Roger Ebert, which was very, very cool. Yeah, it was my first trip to Toronto, and I was so geeked to be up there. And then I walked into a screening room, and Roger Ebert was there. Did you talk to him? no, 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 no. And I just thought like, uh, oh, this is how things roll at yeah. the Toronto John walked in and said, son fun.
3: of
2: a bitch, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> He's in an empty theater. He sits right next to him. Uh, <laughs> and, and then whenever he starts singing the Walk the Line song, he leans over to Roger and goes, It's Walk the
0: Line. Let's That's the name, the, line. the name of the movie. <laughs> this is what it's based on. That's why they called it this. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going with The Doors. Um, mm. Nice. Oliver Stone's film about uh, Jim Morrison. And for this reason, for a couple of different reasons, obviously Um, Morrison and the doors uh, when I was growing up was one of those figures who was uh, extremely fascinating because he died so young. He died at 27. Um, There were conspiracies uh, in a way that I think people believed a lot more uh, back in the eighties, nineties kind of thing that, that Morrison faked his own death or, you know, was still alive kind of thing. What's that?
3: So wasn't that like around that time? Cause that, what do they call that? Like the 26 club, I'm butchering. Yeah.
2: It's a, it's a close.
3: It was word, him, yeah. Hendrix. It was a bunch of musicians, um, like young musicians. Janice Joplin, Buddy Holly. I think yeah. Buddy Holly
0: might've died at 27. Um, which is, sort of you know,
3: that. Yeah.
0: when I was a teenager, Morrison seemed really old. Right. But you know, 27 is ridiculous. And um, right around the time that the doors came out that the movie came out is when I started to pay attention to um, filmmakers and the fact that, you know, Oh, certain people direct movies uh, differently and they turn out to be like these sort of epic stagings. And, you know, and, and that you can find a filmmaker or a director who's putting more love into a craft and and these movies are going to stand out for it. And it was because of scenes where, you know, uh, in Miami, Morrison is uh, getting arrested on the stage, you know, for, or lewd gestures and stuff and and the crowd is going nuts and and stone stages it that way uh and I was like, oh god, this is really like i'm I'm there you know it's like they plunged you into it because hey breaking news Oliver Stone is a really talented filmmaker um but in addition to that it was uh val Kilmer you know being so captivating in this mysterious uh character and i I loved the doors music at that time, and so to get insight into because like Gabe was sort of saying these musical biopics quite often seem really uh staid and you know they they focus on somebody who is uh, so old or out of your time period and I felt like Morrison was um not that far removed so to get it and 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 a story that dove into the inside of uh of how he came up in in Los Angeles uh and and on the Sunset Strip uh, and and they dove into his um his stage fright you know and being afraid to sort of turn around and And sing to the people and then just sort of taking off from there like a rocket was a a great, great story. And so um, I can remember it was also around the time when I started dragging my friends to the movies with me um, because I would go see. That's when I started to get to the point where I was like, I'm just going to go see everything that that comes out now. Um, And it was I was in high school. And so. I remember that's when my friends started to realize, like, oh, if we're hanging out with you, that means we got to go see some stuff that we, like, we never would go see anyway. Like, I was getting my friends excited about going to see a new Oliver Stone film or something like that. And uh, that holds a special place. But I, I rewatched The Doors recently to see if it holds up, thinking that it would be sort of dated. And and. um, But it's still it's still tremendous. And Val Kilmer is still outstanding in it. And Meg Ryan also really, really good. What casting. Yeah, the casting was great, uh, and um, and of course with Val being in Top Gun Maverick, he's still still doing it to this to this day. But um, I'm going with the doors. I thought that was great, that's one of those so. castings where every once in a
3: while you'll see like the meme or the post. Someone will post the pictures that they shot of Val um, side by side with the actual photos, mm-hmm. and yeah. seeing just how it's like. Oh wow, that's kind of surreal. Yeah,
0: similar he looks. He did great. So, Jaggy, take us home.
2: Um, The one I have chosen, I actually checked in with Gabe just to make sure that it was allowed. Um, I picked 8 Mile because, yeah, I mean, technically not a an Eminem biopic, but it's about as autobiographical as I think you're ever going to get with his work. Um, What I kind of loved about 8 Mile um, and for me, the reason it kind of is separated from all other music biopics is that it never really gets into like, the wild and crazy success part of his career. And that's where a lot of biopics tend to lose me. Like I love kind mm-hmm. of like the origin story, but once it gets into like the, the glitz and glamor and like the number one hits and like, we're kind of like, that's to me where most biopics kind of, kind of all end up being the same. Yeah. Um, this is, um, is how like the, success it, changed them. Yes. This is how yeah. like that. And what I loved about eight mile particularly is, is the ending, which is that he works his way up to this, epic rap battle wins and what happens he walks away down the aisle or down down the alleyway and he has to go back to work at the auto factory like that's that's his success story is that like like he did it and he's got to go back to work um i loved kind of like that raw grittiness like showing the trailer park that he grew up in and like the stuff with his stepdad with michael shannon and you know everything with britney murphy it just felt very honest, and oftentimes you know i've I've spoken extensively about how on this show about how I do not like when people are involved in the um mm. telling of their own story when it comes to biopics. but if someone is willing to just be honest um that I feel like that can come through in a really powerful way. I felt it came through with Rocket Man. I felt like Elton John was very honest in in the telling of who he was. Um And I felt like Eminem was very honest and and sort of this, I don't want to say a fictional autobiography. I think I think it's very much his story. Um, But, it well, just, but you know, it's
0: rare, too. It's that he's playing. Yeah. And he's, he's playing, playing himself. himself. And yeah. it doesn't seem like a
2: bit like it just seems right. very if it seems very like, oh, you know, they're playing the real people, you know, like what was it, the the. Um, what was it like 1517 to Paris, the, the 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 Clint Eastwood movie, where like oh, the bit was that the, the guys are playing guys play the real themselves. guy, yeah. which yeah, yeah, was just yeah. like you
3: mean these people who can't act are not yeah. acting in this movie? Yeah. <laughs> um
2: but this just felt very like it was. I think it was his first like real like sh- true big acting performance, and and of course like the the Lose Yourself song is is legendary yeah. by this point. Um I love that movie. Yeah, Curtis Hansen did a just a beautiful job directing
0: it. Um, Dude, you're reminding me how much I miss having a new Curtis Hansen movie to right? look forward to. Right. Right. It's So he was so such a yeah. great director. Incredible. And uh, yeah, that's a that's a terrific yeah. pick. Um, all right. Uh, let's throw it to Kevin. Kevin McCarthy, who couldn't join us this week, but is going to weigh in with his pick for hashtag music biopic blend. Kev. <laughs>
1: Hey guys, uh, this is actually an interestingly fitting uh, blend game this week. I'm um, here in Nashville, Tennessee um, for the uh, Academy of Country Music Honors. Um, So that's why I wasn't on the show this week, but uh, I had a chance to like talked to a ton of uh, the people that are in the industry, Chris Stapleton, uh, Shania Twain. Um, So the music aspect of it's interesting because I was at a show last night at the Ryman Auditorium, which is a historic auditorium here in Nashville, one of the most historic venues in the world. Um, So perfect time to do music biopic blend. Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit though, because I want to talk about a a couple of them and I'm going to keep this quick. Um, But I... Love music biopics. I think it's one of my favorite things to watch in cinema. I, I absolutely love the way I love learning about people's lives in cinema and kind of the way like a two and a half hour story can encapsulate. And I get it because like you know there's a there's a there's a interesting thing about biopics that follow a similar pattern like you know the rise and the fall or of somebody um, and. There's a lot of them, um, but I wanted to highlight a couple of them. Straight out of Compton, which I think is the first one that came to my mind because I was just floored by that film. Um, the performances, the the just learning the history, um, and just Corey Hawkins as Dr. Dre and and, and Cube's son uh, playing Cube. I mean, what a beautiful full circle thing to have O.J. Jackson Jr. playing his father. I mean, it's such a cool thing. And and he did it so well. Um, And that was F. Gary Gray. And I I love that film because it made me learn a lot about uh, the music and and, and the story and Eazy-E. And uh, there was just so much in that film that I love. And I thought it was just beautifully done. It was different. It felt different than a normal biopic. Um, It just felt raw and real. Um, I loved it. Um, Also want to shout out. Uh, walk the line um, again these are all movies that made me appreciate the music of the artist a lot more um, I appreciate Johnny Cash more because of what, what, what Joaquin Phoenix did with that that uh, that performance as Johnny Cash and what's really even weirder is I'm in Nashville right now and at the Ryman Auditorium where I was last night for the show is where Johnny Cash met June Carter who's played by Reese Witherspoon in the movie um so that's another big one for me. Obviously, you know, and this is a weird one. Eight Mile is a, one of my favorite biopics ever in terms of music. Um, huge Eminem fan. Um, but that movie was so cool And Curtis Hanson directed that. And uh, I just love the battle rap scenes. Uh, I loved the songs that were uh, for it. Um, it was just the performances, learning about where he came from. Uh, so those are like the three that I really wanted to highlight. I mean, there's so many other ones. Um, and I know we, you know, we talk on on the show a lot about Rocket Man versus Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, I'm a more of a Bohemian Rhapsody uh, fan in terms of the film. Um, but overall, those are the three I want to say. So I know I'm cheating a bit by giving a few of them, but just the nature of where I am right now, um, in terms of music and what it means. Um, I wanted to highlight a couple of them. So I miss you guys and I love you guys and, uh, be back next week. And, uh, we have a huge if it happens next week. So excited about that! See you guys.
0: As for audience picks, we want to thank you guys for playing along. We have uh, Kelly Raya who went with Purple Rain. Uh, Michael Breen said Amadeus. Joe Safer, Kimberly Sue, Johnny, and many many others uh, joined Gabe with Walk the Line. Harry Case went with Rocket Man. Paul Marsh said Ray and M said Tick Tick. Oh, Tick Tick. Boom. God, why didn't I pick that? I, I love that Tick Tick. Boom. T- yeah. Oh, my God. I totally forgot about it. And then Rusty said Elvis. Um, the, no, the other one I wanted to throw in just for good measure is um, Love and Mercy. If people didn't see Love and oh, Mercy yeah, recently. Yeah, of course. Of course, Uh, Paul Dano and John Cusack playing uh, Brian Wilson at different stages of his life is fantastic. Um,
2: Uh, Not to like name drop, but I did this show so weird that we're doing this as a as a blend game. And based on the interview, I just interviewed Garth Brooks a few days ago and talked to him about the recent string of uh, because if you don't know, Garth Brooks is my favorite music artist of all time and spoke with him about the recent string of. um Music biopics, and he told me that his favorite is Ray, which I thought was interesting. Um there He told go. me he did not like, did, he didn't say didn't like, but that he he'd like to see a different Elvis movie because he felt that Baz Luhrmann's was too much about um uh Colonel Tom Parker. He said that it, was, okay. he, he said it was a little too much. He wanted more Elvis, which I actually liked that it was the old Tom Parker thing. It made but, it gave it its own thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was, that's, that's that's Garth's Garth, pick.
0: Who does Garth want to play him in a musical biopic? Uh,
2: Michael B. Jordan. And and, and and I said like 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 I was like yeah because like like him and Creed it's like looking in a mirror he's like yeah with the six pack and everything it's I, to
3: be it's, to be fair anyone should ask Michael B Jordan to play that in whatever movie yeah, I, yeah, I had awesome the six play. pack I swear yeah. to God yeah. I had the six pack the whole time
2: I just, I just picture like, you know remember that shot of him in Creed where he's like banging on his chest and like the muscles are like like yeah, I just uh, picture yeah. like like whenever they do the gay biopic it's gonna be like him telling us to rap and like banging his chest like yeah. the muscles yeah. are be, absolutely yeah. shredded yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> all right next week uh, we're gonna be playing hashtag Regina Hallblend. So go to Twitter Ooh. using hashtag Regina Hallblend uh, or let us know your pick via email at Real at cinema blend.com. And as always mentioned, uh using that email is where you can leave us a review. Or of course you can go to uh Apple Podcasts or you can go to Spotify, all these different places where you can leave us to reviews. And this week's review comes from uh, Tim Dammer, who says, uh five stars movie theater parking lot. Okay, Real Blend feels like conversations, sometimes arguments. I have with friends in the movie theater parking lot after a showing. Keep up the good work. Well, that's a terrific way to sort of capture what we're going for here. Uh, So thank you, Tim. We appreciate you sending that review in. Um, Our next premium episode is going to be a mailbag, as mentioned. If you guys ever want questions uh, that we can answer for you, whether it be about our jobs or the show or... Uh, life in general we're happy to address them uh, during the mailbag Uh, and become a premium subscriber go to the description here where the show is listed and it'll tell you how you can sign up for additional fun real blend type stuff Uh, if you want to follow us during the week we are on social media at jake's takes at Kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell at gabe kovach and the show is at real blend we'll be back next week Uh, we have a couple of really fun things cooking as always Uh, so until then The Fablemans, Mm, 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 mm. the 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 Batmans,
2: (laughs) the Batmans,
4: (laughs) two.